I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. So grab your glass ceiling. And let's get civical. everybody uh hello every single one of you not not a person left behind in our hellos never a single one of you i want you all to feel like we hear you we see you we feel you check the closet we're in there we're in there hello <laughs> but welcome back to let's get civical i'm lizzie stewart and i'm arden wallentowski and what is there to say right now? Fall is, I feel like, about to fall. It's dropping That's tomorrow. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Is it really? Is it drop? Is the temperature dropping tomorrow? Or is that, are you just? I was just like using just, that, like in the you were metaphorical just being dropping. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought it was going to be like cold and I need to know. <laughs> no, no, I think it's actually supposed to be like in the lower 80s, upper 70s for like quite a while. I love that. I love that yeah. fall is like, ugh, not yet. 
Ugh. Not yet. We Leave need to alone. we need to ease into this. I know. I know. But what else is new? It's the time of the year to start watching Hocus Pocus. And oh my gosh, sure. Sure. We're in that, Hocus Pocus season. It is Hocus Pocus season. It is. It's Gilmore Girls season for all who participate. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And yeah. then basically after Hocus Pocus season is when I start Christmas shopping. I mean, I've already done a little now, like just when I'm a place that I see something good. Yeah. But then after Hocus Pocus season is really like the start of the holidays, which then go for like two and a half months. I'm so very excited about it. I know you are. For those of you who don't know, Arden loves Christmas and has started listening to the Christmas hits and the jingles and all the songs, which I I, I said to you, I was like, it's a little late this year because normally you do start in like August. It's true. You know, it's true. Once summer is over. You're like, it's yes. Christmas. <laughs> it's Christmas. It's Christmas. Is it almost my birthday? That means it's almost Christmas time. Yeah. I. It was funny because I put that up and people who have known me for a long time, who have been through this with me for yeah. and been in it with me for many years were like, good for you. Like, so great that you're like, yay, Christmas. And yay. and you were like, you're, this is late for you. This but is like, late. Multiple people like commented some way in that form and it was so good. And then yeah. like newer people in my life were like, what? Like, just prepare yourself. If you're going to have me in your life, you're going to have to accept the fact that it's just Christmas time yeah. starting September 7th. Like, right. that's it. Your brand is strong. It's strong. It, do- yeah. it does not waver in this regard. Yeah, it's like anytime something happens with JonBenet Ramsey, I get like 30 text messages. Oh, yeah. Being oh, like, yeah. Lizzie, did you see this about JonBenet Ramsey? And I'm like, of course I did, but keep it coming. <laughs> oh, keep it coming. <laughs> so similar brands, very strong. Both in like strength of integrity to mm-hmm. the brand and like no- recognizable notoriety right. of the brand. Exactly right. Right. Yeah. I have no idea how we're going to get from Christmas and JonBenet to our episode topic. I, I, I This is one that even I cannot fathom jumping into. So let's into. take a heart. <laughs> right. And let's talk about today's yeah. episode topic. So it's been a, quite a while since we've done a yeah. SCOTUS biopic biopic because... Well, because we've done them all that are current except for... Amy Comey Barrett. Oh, that's the yeah. one. Right. We haven't done. I forgot about her. Uh-huh. Yes, that's the one we haven't done because she was new. Yeah, we have not done Amy Comey Barrett because we are waiting for her to get a couple more decisions under her belt so we can actually look at her pattern of decisions like we do with the other justices that we've done. And since she doesn't have a judicial, like a traditional judicial career, even pre becoming a Supreme Court justice, it's not like we can look at her. Many past opinions pre-bench. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So we're just giving... It's not that we're not doing her. We are absolutely going to do her. We're just giving her more time. But... More time to grow. Exactly. To grow. But in the meantime, we thought we would start looking at, you know, key, famous, infamous justices of history's past. And Mm -hmm. no better place to start 
than Sandra Day O'Connor herself. Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman elected to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Literally, first woman to the Supreme Court. Really interesting life. Really interesting Mm. voting patterns. We're going to look at some of the cases that she wrote the opinion on. And yeah, I like, I think she was a different kind of conservative. Yeah. Like this. That's the sense that I got. Yeah. Sandra, the Sandra conservative does not exist on our current bench. I think the closest Mm. thing maybe, and it's a big maybe, is John Roberts. But even he, I don't think, is quite a Sandra Day O'Connor conservative. Got it. So interesting. Okay, cool. But yeah. So before we jump in, uh, the sources today are coming from obviously heavily from our favorite place on earth. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. Oh, yays. Because one of the greatest websites ever to exist. I love Oh, yays. We say this every time. It's the best. It's literally like coming home every time we get to talk about Oh, yays. Yeah. Other sources coming from 13.org and CNN. So a lot of good stuff. Yeah. So, Arden, do you want to kick us off? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I would love to. Okay. Let's dig into her early life. She was born. That's it. She was born in... (laughs) Imagine if I was that bad at doing notes. (laughs) She was born, as we all know, because she lives. Click, click, click. She was born. Yeah. So, Sandra Day O'Connor was born in El Paso, Texas on March 26, 1930. Fellow Texan, shout her out. Ooh, ooh, Texan, Texan. She spent her early childhood on her family's large Lazy Bee cattle ranch in southeastern Arizona. What? Lazy, Lazy Bee being bee the uh, ca- the name of the, of the ranch. Of the ranch, Lazy yeah. Bee cattle. Oh, my yeah. God. That's hysterical. Ultimately, her parents sent her to live with her grandmother in El Paso to give her the best chance at a quality education. She thrived at the Radford School for Girls and graduated high school two years early. Go off. Go off. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So here's – I'm going to pause right here, and then obviously there's going to be more. Sandra – I mean, they're all smart, obviously. Sandra's wicked smart. Like, she's clearly, like, genius level. She's very, very smart. Yeah, like I tried to, I went to my high school guidance counselor to be like, how can I graduate early? And she was like, you can't. Yeah. And I was so like, when I hear that other people did that, I get really jealous because I wasn't allowed to. Yeah. And also it's like, I don't think any of the other justices that we've covered have graduated early. You know? Yeah. Not that they probably couldn't if they had wanted to, but- it's just, yeah. it's interesting. I think it's interesting. Yeah. So continuing on with her education, this fact is insane. At age 16, she was admitted to Stanford University, where she earned a bachelor's degree in economics. Oh, my God. What? What? At 16? I don't even know what I was doing. Ugh. I was playing like a PS2. I was getting my driver's license, but also I took like intro to economics at the ripe young age of like 28 yeah. and got a C. Yeah. And this, <laughs> this woman is like, I, Let I got me actually it. make this my whole life. Me? Like demand curve. Absolutely. Yeah. She yeah. understood it all. 
I took economics my senior year of high school and couldn't grasp it. Couldn't nope. grasp it. It's, Sorry. I could, I could like, when they explained it, I was like, all right, I get that. But then, like, n- n- no, the test results proved differently. Right, right. In 1950, so after she graduated with her degree in economics, she was admitted to Stanford Law. So she's what, like? 20. 20, like, at max? She's yeah. in Stanford Law now? Okay. During her time at Stanford Law, she worked on the board of editors for the Stanford Law Review. So this is something we see with the other justices. They are a part of their law review club oh, okay. team, which at, I still don't fully grasp what a law review is, but it seems to be the trend. Yeah, I don't get it. Okay. And then she completed law school in just two years as opposed to the usual three years she graduated somehow third in her class, which is crazy that she wasn't first. That's but third in her insane. class. I you know. mean, come on. Yeah, considering she's early. Right. So she graduated third in her class with one of the students ahead of her being fellow future justice William H. Reinquist. What? Crazy. That's nuts. Future chief justice, right? Yeah. Wasn't he a chief justice? For- yeah. I mean, it, it, it like it feels like such a small world, but then also there's like four major colleges that these people right. all go to. <laughs> Correct. Correct. There are only it's four not- colleges that they go to. It's like this. It's like Stanford, Princeton, uh, Harvard, and Columbia. Yale. And Yale. Five. Yale. Yeah. Even Stanford. I feel like we don't see a ton of no. justices from Stanford. So this is kind of a curveball. Yeah. But... But yeah, so hilarious. Fun, hilarious. fun fact. So then uh, after she graduated from law school in two years at the ripe old age of 22, basically. Mm-hmm. But despite her impeccable qualifications, Sandra struggled to find employment in the legal field due to a heavy bias against women as attorneys. Same thing kind of like <sighs> RBG encountered as well. I hate humans. I know, right? They're <laughs> such dicks. Third in her classroom, Stanford University, can't get a job because she's a woman. Because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. Jesus. She began her legal career working for the county attorney of San Mateo for free, Jesus, mm-hmm. after turning down a paid position as a legal secretary. Go off. She's mm-hmm. like, I am, I mean, she knew what the right move was. It sucks that she had to do it for free. That is like... Such a slap in the face. Yep. Once she proved herself as an asset, she got a job as the deputy county attorney. Great. Yeah. Once she proved herself, which is like she apparently couldn't prove herself. The boobs are very, they're in the way. They're in the way. They're in the way. You simply can't work if you have boobs. So you have to prove that you can do it. Yep. Before you can get paid. We don't make the rules. We don't make the rules. So that leads us to, I do this every time, which is just like a timeline of career pre-SCOTUS and leading just after becoming a justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. So we're going to go through just some major milestones of her career. So as Arden said, from 1952 to 1953, she was the county deputy attorney in San Mateo, California. Then... From 1955 to 1957, she worked as a civilian lawyer for the Quartermaster Corps in Germany while her husband served with the Army's Judge Advocate General Corps. So her husband 
had to be relocated to Germany. She went to Germany and worked in Germany. Wow. That's nuts. So cool. So then they finish with Germany. She comes back. In 1959, she opens her own law firm in Maryville, Arizona. So she's back in Arizona doing her own thing. Then in 1965, so about six years after that, to 1969, Mm -hmm. she was made the assistant attorney general of Arizona. Okay. Great. Okay. In 1969, she was appointed to fill a vacant seat in the Arizona Senate. So this is also like, I don't think we've seen any justice yet where they served in public office in this way. Wow. Yeah. After she was appointed, she was then like properly elected. So, you know, the appointment seat obviously like ran out and then she was actually elected into the Senate, the Arizona Senate. Then in 1972, she was reelected to the Arizona Senate and elected majority leader. And she was the first woman to hold this office in any state. So first woman to be in a majority leader in a state Senate ever. Go off, Sandra. Mm -hmm. Yes, Sandy. Mm hmm. And then this I found interesting because we've talked about this county so much, but from 1975 to 1979, she then switches gears and she becomes the Superior Court Judge of Maricopa County. So Maricopa County is famously the one where, oh, what's his face? That horrible racial profiling cop who like... Oh, 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 oh. You know what I mean? The one we did... We talked about him when we did, like, pardons. Pardons, yeah. His name will come to me. You know what? It's great. We don't have to say his name. He doesn't deserve it. We don't have to say his name, but yes. So he's from there, and also Maricopa County was a huge district during the the most recent election because this was one of the counties where that caused Arizona to turn blue, if I recall. Yeah. Or it was one of those ones where we were waiting for (laughs) results to come in from Maricopa County. Oh, God. It's a big county. It's a big county in Arizona. Then after that, from 1979 to 1981, she was made judge of the Arizona Court of Appeals. So I feel like she had this like, not crazy, but this really unique experience. And then she suddenly like shifted gears and got on what we have seen to be like the traditional track to becoming a Supreme Court justice. You know, like now I feel like, okay, now she's in like the judicial system and she's being a judge and she's becoming this judge and then an appeals judge and then like all the normal steps. But Mm -hmm. a wild card beginning, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely not one that we're used to. Yeah. So while she's on the Arizona Court of Appeals, on August 19th, 1981, she was formally nominated to the Supreme Court by President Ronald Reagan to fill the seat of retiring Justice Potter Stewart. I love Potter as a first name. Really? I think it's so silly. It's so silly, but that's kind of why I love it. Sure. It's cute. It's cute. I I feel like if if I met a baby that was named Potter... I would fall madly in love. and But then mm-hmm. once he turned, like, 12, I'd be like, yeah. this is sad. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, like, that feels like a, like a cute name, except that when you, when that kid, yeah, turns, like, 
an age where they're supposed to be like responsible for themselves, then it's like, oh, okay, Bryce. Like, yeah, no, <laughs> it's not yeah. cute anymore. It's not now cute it anymore. just makes you sound like an asshole. Sure. So Potter Stewart retired. Sandra took his spot. On September 21st, 1981, she was confirmed by the U.S. Senate. And then four days later, on September 25th, 1981, she was sworn in as the first female Supreme Court Justice of the United States. So that's why we're doing this biopic now is because we're about to encroach upon the anniversary of her being sworn in as the first time. Go off, Sandy. Go off. Yeah. Good job, girl. And then this is just some stuff post-Supreme Court. So a couple of health battles. In October of 1988, she had surgery for breast cancer after being diagnosed earlier in the year. Then Mm. she ended up retiring from the Supreme Court on January 31st, 2006. So she was on there for a good 25 years. Math? Mm. Dang, yeah, that's good. Then in 2008, so two years after retiring, she developed a website called Our Courts, which later became iCivics, and it was a free <laughs> program for students to learn about the U.S. court system. Oh my God, she would have loved us. I know. Then on July 30th, 2009, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama, obviously. Obviously. I remember that. Yeah. Big, big things. Yep. On February 25th, 2014, she released her book, Out of Order, which is based on the Supreme Court and its history. So we literally have to get our hands on that. Oh, yep. Put it next to my Sonia Sotomayor book that I have that is signed by Sonia. (laughs) And then on October 23rd, 2018... She released a letter revealing that she had been diagnosed with the beginning stages of dementia, most likely Alzheimer's disease. Wow. I yep. did not know that. Yep. So Sandra is still living. She's she's still alive. She is yeah. 91. Yeah. Holy guacamole. I know. Oh. I know. Oh, my God. Sandra, come on our show. I know. I would, I mean, I would literally, I think, just cry. <laughs> I, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then this is just like a little fun thing. In July of 2019, O'Connor's former home is listed by the National Park Service and the National Register of Historic Places. The Adobe House built by O'Connor and her late husband in 1958 in Paradise Valley, Arizona, was relocated to Temp, Arizona in 2009. I think it's Tempe. Tempe, sorry, Tempe, Tempe, Arizona in 2009. And it is the home of the Sandra Day O'Connor Institute, which is a very helpful website. Yeah, it's a whole thing, all things about Sandra Day O'Connor. And yeah, you can visit it. So when we're in Arizona, which I'm sure we'll be at some point, Mm -hmm. it's going on the list of places to go. Love. Pay homage to Sandra. I love. I know. I know. She had like a good. What makes me so sad because she wrote that letter in 2018. Yeah. That she has been diagnosed at the beginning of state stages of dementia, which means it's probably already like, like 
it's not like, oh, I forgot that phone number. Like to get to that point, like there's a yeah. like a whole thing to get there. And that was like three years ago. Like I wonder how yeah. she's doing. I know. Aw. Yeah. So she's like fully not in public life at yeah. all. Um no, understandable. I don't, I don't blame her. Oh yeah. So. She's also ninety one. Right. Le- leave her alone. <laughs> leave her alone. Leave her alone. Leave the woman alone. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. So that's like her timeline. And now we're right. going to do notable cases. So these are Yay. all for when she was a justice on the bench of the Supreme Court of the United States. And just really interesting. Like this is to me when I was reading these, I was like, there are certainly cases where she's clearly, I'm like, gosh, conservative ruling. Gotcha. Yeah. But yeah. some of these I was like, huh, that's interesting. That she's right. not in the conservative majority. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I, that's what I remember about her. Like, obviously, first female justice of the Supreme Court. But then not like a flip-flopper. No. Like, fairly, con- like, definitely in the conservative bent. But sometimes you're like, this is one of those moments where, like, a conservative argument kind of helps support the, the like, more progressive action. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like... Yeah, it's that's why I equate her to how I feel about John Roberts sometimes because sometimes rulings have come out and I've been obviously very excited about it and I see John Roberts in the majority for it and I'm like, what are you doing here? Right. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed <laughs> to be here, and I think yeah, that's just because be we've become so conditioned to expect what each justice is going to rule on. Like if it's a if like ba- based on political ideology. Um, right. Like the support, the Supreme Court has gotten extremist on both ends. And so mm-hmm. anytime there is like a relatively moderate or a swing person, it, it, you just I think it's just hard to under it's like, what is going on? I feel like my brain is right, a right, short right. circuit. <laughs> yeah. You're like, how can that even be possible? Right. 
So we're going to talk about some of her notable cases, like Lizzie said. The first one is Mississippi University for Women et al. versus Hogan. So here are the facts of the case. Joe Hogan, a registered nurse and qualified applicant, was denied admission to the Mississippi University for Women School of Nursing's bachelorette program on the basis of sex. Created by a state statute in 1884, the college was the oldest state-supported all-female college in the United States. Ah! So you see what's happening? It's kind of like an RBG mm. case where it's like yeah, it's it sexism, is. but the opposite way. Right. You know? And I should have said at the top, all of everything for these court cases, everything that we're going to go over is all OEAs. So enjoy. Oh, yay. So the question before the court was, did the state statute which prevented men from enrolling in Mississippi University for Women's School of Nursing, the nursing program, violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment? And the verdict was, yes, the Mm -hmm. court held that the state did not provide an exceedingly persuasive justification for the gender-based distinction. Um, How about the fact that, like, literally most other colleges in this country were, like, for men? Mm -hmm. It's not sexism if it's against women, Arden. (laughs) Oh, I forgot. I forgot. It's natural. It's nature at work. Right, 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 right. When it goes the other way... Big problem. Mm-hmm. The state's primary argument that the policy constituted educational affirmative action for women was unpersuasive mm-hmm. <laughs> to the court since women traditionally have not lacked opportunities to enter nursing. Wait, so they're like, if this was like a law program, like maybe you'd have a point, but because it's nursing, like they don't need a special track. Like that's one of the five things. That we're allowed, we're allowing them to do. Yeah. That's, that's I, bullshit. I mean, look, it's, I'm not saying it's a total W. <laughs> <laughs> oh but my God. it was, you know, it was the 19, what, 50s, 80s? I don't know when this yeah. was. It was, yeah. it was a weird time. It was a weird time. If anything, argued Justice O'Connor, the statute, quote, tends to perpetuate the stereotyped view of nursing as an exclusively women's job, close quote. Which, like, I see that. Yeah. I don't really see that. I mean, that's exactly what it's doing. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, this is women's work, you know? Right. Right. And you're a man. So, no, you can't come here because this is women's Yeah, go get a man's job. Like go a, be a lawyer. Doctor. Go be a doctor. That's a man thing. Yeah. Go be Women literally can't anything be doctors. Else. They're not smart enough. They're That's not smart why enough. we stick them in the nursing program. What about the yeah. children? Yeah. They can't handle it. Can't handle it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Sandra wrote the majority for opinion for that one. Then the next one is the case Shaw v. Reno. So the facts of this case were... The U.S. Attorney General rejected a North Carolina congressional reapportionment plan because the plan created only one black majority district. North Carolina submitted a second plan creating two black majority districts. One of these districts was in part no wider than the interstate road along which it stretched. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Five North Carolina oh residents challenged the constitutionality of this unusually shaped district, alleging yes, that its off. only purpose was to secure the election of additional black representatives. Wow. So the, the question before the court became, did the North Carolina's residents claim that the state created a racially gerrymandered district 
raise a valid constitutional issue under the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause. And the verdict was, yes. The court (laughs) held that although North Carolina's reapportionment plan was racially neutral on its face, the resulting district shape was bizarre enough to suggest that it constituted an effort to separate voters into different districts based on race. Wow. Yeah. The unusual district, while perhaps created by noble intentions, seemed to exceed what was reasonably necessary to avoid racial imbalances. After concluding that the resident's claim did give rise to an equal protection challenge, the court remanded, adding that in the absence of contradictory evidence, the district court would have to decide on whether or not some compelling government interest justified North Carolina's plan. And this majority opinion was written by Sandra Day O'Connor. So this was a case of obviously gerrymandering, gerrymandering for what you could argue being a good cause. But at the end of the day, gerrymandering all the same in a to an extent. I mean, you know, we can look at districts that are, you know, drawn right now and be like, this is this is crazy. Right. Gerrymandering has gotten so out of hand. But in this case. They said you have to redraw. Wow. It's so funny that now, like, this that's such, like, a bold statement. And now mm-hmm. the court's like, we can't we do gerrymandering. We don't see gerrymandering <laughs> as existing. It's not real. Oh, I forget yeah. how angry that Robert's ruling makes me. Yes. We can't. We, we actually, as the court, can't handle gerrymandering. It has to be the legislature that deals with gerrymandering. And I'm like, my dude, the legislature is what is causing the gerrymandering. Right, right. Does nobody read the paper? It's like, what's going on? Maybe pick up Sandra's book because like the court has a history. Has a history. Of looking at gerrymandering cases. I know. Ah, He probably, he did not do his homework that day. mm -mm. Oh man. I got to keep my, I've got to keep my... Mm -mm. Keep it cool. Keep it cool. Keep it cool. Yeah. The next case we're going to talk about is uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. So here are the facts of the case. The Pennsylvania legislature amended its abortion control law in 1988 and 1989. Among the new provisions, the law required informed consent and a 24-hour waiting period prior to the procedure. A minor seeking an abortion required the consent of one parent. The law allows for a judicial bypass procedure. So if you can't do that, there is a way to kind of get around that. A married woman seeking an abortion had to indicate that she had notified her husband of her intention to abort the fetus. Mm -hmm. These provisions were challenged by several abortion clinics and physicians. A federal appeals court upheld all the provisions except for the husband notification requirement. Interesting. Yeah. We've talked about this case before. Yeah. We've like danced around it in the past. Yeah. So it's it's a complicated one, but Right. What's carry interesting on. to me is that the court was like, Yeah, 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 sure. Except the husband thing. Like that I would have thought they would have held up like first. I mean, who's to say? There have yeah. been there's so many I'm always confused by the courts, I have to yeah. say. They're not what you might say consistent. No. 
So the question before the court is, can a state require women who want an abortion to obtain informed consent, wait 24 hours, and then if married, notify their husbands, and if they're minors, obtain parental consent without violating their right to abortion as guaranteed by Roe v. Wade? Great question. Yeah. So this was a huge case. It's a great question. This was a huge case because if the Supreme Court voted like in favor of all of these provisions, it would have been a very easy overturn of Roe v. Wade. Like that would have been the next step. So it was very much about like, are we going to keep going with Roe v. Wade or no? Right. Right. Because if you say, yes, this is all fine, then Roe v. Wade, yeah, there's no right to privacy. Wow. The court is endlessly fascinating to me. So the verdict in a bitter five to four decision, the court again reaffirmed Roe, but it upheld most of the Pennsylvania provisions. For the first time, the justices imposed a new standard to determine the validity of laws restricting abortions. The new standard asks whether a state abortion regulation has the purpose or effect of imposing an undue burden. Oh, that's where that phrase Mm -hmm. came from which is defined as a, quote, substantial obstacle in the path of a woman seeking an abortion before the fetus attains viability, close quote. Under the standard, the only provision to fail the undue burden test was the husband notification requirement. In a rare step, the opinion for the court was crafted and authored by three justices, O'Connor, Kennedy, and Souter. Yeah. So undue burden. Undue burden. We hear it all the time now. Oh, yeah. I mean, almost... All challenges to restrictive abortion laws have to do with undue burden. Burden. Right. Right. Crazy. And yeah, this is another one where it's like O'Connor is in the majority and it's like, what? Oh. All right. Now we're going to close out because we cannot do a SCOTUS biopic biopic without talking about Bush v. Gore. Oh my god. Oh my I was wait, Arden, the funniest thing just happened. So I was doing my little song song and yeah, yeah. in Zoom, a little notification just popped up and said, playing music? Question mark. Ah yes, <laughs> like, you are. yes I am. And it's now trying to get me to set up professional audio in audio settings ah! for my music that I'm playing. That's how good you are. <laughs> that is how good you are. Y'all, I'm a singer. I'm a musician. You Come are on. a singer. Get you a manager. I know. So we have to talk about Bush v. Gore because she was on the bench when Bush v. Gore happened. And it's just one of those, like, Citizens United that I feel like we have to talk about if you were on the bench when yeah. it happened. Yep. So she's very interesting in this. So we all know what Bush v. Gore is. They, you know, yeah, I'm not going to go through all the things. But yeah, what Sandra Day O'Connor did is she ended up voting in the majority to end the recount in Florida, which ended up, as we all know, leading to Mm -hmm. George W. Bush becoming president of the United States. Here's what's interesting. And here's where I'm like, "Mm, Sandy, come on. Come on. Sandra Day O'Connor and Anthony Kennedy are the only justices who did not attach their names to either a concurring or dissenting opinion in the case. So they voted to stop the recount, which like let George Bush become president and then didn't say like, yes, I am concurring with this opinion or this dissent. And I'm like, 
um, I'm sorry. You do have mm. to kind of justify your actions here. You do have to like, like step up to the plate to the yeah. job that you were assigned to that you took on and like exactly. justify why you think we shouldn't keep counting people's votes. Exactly. Even if like, I mean, we've seen it before where somebody will vote, let's say in the majority and they don't attach their name to the general opinion and they submit right. their own opinion their for their own, own reasons. Right. That yeah. was an option. And those two were like, I'm just wow. going to put my name to anything. It's like, no, of a presidential election? That's crazy. That's crazy that they didn't put their name to an opinion or a dissent or put their own. That's so wild. I know. Mm -mm -mm, That's so wild. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Notable cases, y'all. She's had a she's had a wild career, that's for sure. She had a lot of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. We've come to the point of the episode where we talk about fun facts, fun facts, fun facts, fun facts, fun facts. You did great. You're doing so good. Yeah, Yeah, they're all yours today, baby. My Zoom did not ask me if I was was playing music. We can't all be musicians, okay? We can't all be singers. (laughs) I know. So Sandra Day O'Connor was confirmed by the Senate 99 to 0. I know. Isn't that crazy? Who was out that day? That is crazy. But also, who was out? There was one person out. Oh, there was one person out. Okay, great. Can you imagine... A Supreme Court justice being confirmed no. 99 to 0 now no, on either side. No. On either no. side. No. It is no. impossible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sandra Day O'Connor votes most often with Chief Justice William Wenquist, 80% of the time during the last four years of her tenure as um, a justice, and least often with senior liberal justice John Paul Stevens. They voted together 58% of the time during the same period. Although, like, that's still better than we would get now. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's more than half. Yeah. I know. <gasps> oh, my God. I know. Ew. Ew. I Her know. seat was filled by Samuel Alito. Ugh. I know. I'm like, we couldn't have filled her with another woman. We had to fill her with Samuel Alito. Oh. At least Trump nominated a woman to fill RBG's seat. Oh, Seriously. I mean, could there be two people more different? But yes, yeah, at least they were both for sure. Yeah. Crazy. She was a proponent of judicial restraint. At her confirmation hearings, she said, quote, judges are not only not authorized to engage in executive or legislative functions, they're also ill-equipped to do so, close quote. I think John Roberts, like, needs to just, like, read that statement. Well, John Roberts is in denial about... So, because he's he he says the same thing, where it's like the this is true. The Supreme Court should not legislate, but what John Roberts does is legislate. Mm -hmm. Like the decisions that have come in, where he's like, "We can't legislate," blah 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 blah, is still legislating, right? And I'm just that's my thing. I'm like, I understand, but your your opinions have an impact on the laws, right? Right. I also think that like. He's not, he's not like, he's very hands off, like during the Trump, you know, impeachment hearing, he basically like just read names. And I was like, that doesn't mean that you like, don't have a part to play here. Just because you think like you want to be hands off 
like you're not actually writing the bill, but you can like steer a direction. You can take responsibility. Like yeah. if the if the justices of the Supreme Court were just supposed to be like warm bodies, like we would hire extras. Like this is no <laughs> there's like there's a middle ground here there's a middle ground here yeah Uh. yeah i agree but that is sandra day o'connor in what you could call a nutshell so good i like her i mean do i agree with her politically probably not maybe she's more progressive now who knows who knows that's always my hope but like yeah she seems like good people she's super smart yeah. What I like about her is that I feel like, and and we were talking about this earlier, I was like, I feel like she allowed herself, she didn't allow herself to be put into the box of liberal or conservative. I mean, yeah. I think the her pattern was she leaned more conservative, but if she agreed with the liberal justice, like, no, no problem being like, yeah, over here. I'm over yeah. here. That's the, it's the here. argument. It's the best legal argument. It's a, yeah. we're upholding the Constitution. It doesn't matter, you know. I feel like a lot of justices say that you know political ideology doesn't matter, and I'm like, then prove it. Yeah, and that's both. That's on both sides. It's, you know? It is. Yeah, it truly I is on both agree. sides. But yep. I think Sandra Day O'Connor certainly proved that it wasn't always about partisan. It wasn't always about ideology. It was about the law and constitutionality. Now, I'm sure right. I have dif- disagreements about what she thinks constitutionality is and what I think constitutionality is. But I look at her career and I'm like, all right, I see you. Yeah. See yeah. what you were doing? Yeah. So that's our episode on Sandra Day O'Connor and the end of this SCOTUS biopic biopic. Who are we going to do next? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. If you, if you listeners have an idea of what Supreme Court justice you want us to cover next, you know where to find us, okay? Yeah. And I want to hear who you want us to cover because, I mean, it could be Potter Stewart. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Potter Stewart. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to see if he lives up to his name. I know, right? But in the meantime, we love you so, so much. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. As always, you can rate us, you can review us, you can subscribe to us. We love you so, so much, and we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.